Thank you all for coming to this session. We didn't realize how important this session would be. And thank you all who are uh, participating through live streaming or listening to the recording of this talk later. This is our March session, the year 2020. And we are uh, at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic in the United States. So we are in a a sequestered session. We asked uh, those who were planning to come from outside to stay home, to stay safe. We are also coming to the end of our practice period centered on Bardo, the transition, traditionally the transition between life and death but it also refers to any transition. And this is definitely a probably very profound time of transition for our country and for the whole world. People often ask me, uh, what happens after you die? And I do not know. That's the honest answer. If I did have a previous life, I don't remember my death, maybe some inklings of how one death occurred, but I honestly do not know. However, I do know that Zen practice prepares us to walk through that door that we call death into the unknown. Because in our meditation, we do that breath after breath, minute after minute, hour after hour. The next moment is, of course, completely unknown, although our mind is constantly trying to plan for it. A hundred, a thousand plans that will never come true. It's a complete waste of energy. The next moment is completely unknown. The Earth could be hit by an asteroid wiping out all life life on Earth in minutes. And a regular heart rhythm could stop my heart. A small clot could travel from your heart to your brain, causing a fatal stroke. We pretend that we have a long time to live so that we can put off thinking about death, put off thinking about what's really important, and also realizing what is a waste of our remaining life energy. Our denial about death is, in a a very real way, a mercy. We don't want to live a life of constant panic. See how uncomfortable we are now, facing the unknown? We don't want to live that way all the time, but people do. The refugees in Syria live that way moment to moment now. We don't want to live a life afraid to fall asleep, lest we do not wake. We we do not want to live all our life so anxious we wash our hands until they are raw. Afraid to eat a slice of white bread or a spoonful of sugar or to be fearful to sit through the pain in our knees when we meditate. All of these are linked to our fear of death. Death may pass us by several times a day. And we're blessedly oblivious. 
a car that almost veered into our lane, but the driver caught it in time. A virus that our immune system managed to confine to a nasty cold. Instead of a fatal, fatal illness. Once in a while, however, the curtain that screens us from the ever-present reality of death parts. And we're shocked to realize how close it is sitting on our left shoulder as we blithely go about our chores and our loves. The current coronavirus pandemic has parted that screen temporarily for us. This is a gift. This pandemic is not a natural disaster. It is a natural occurrence, a completely natural occurrence. In the US and also in most of Europe, we've been shielded from these natural occurrences throughout our lifetime, particularly those born after World War II. We have been shielded from these natural occurrences, viruses that are eager to, li- eager to live and to multiply just as we humans are also. Viruses that happen to find somewhat receptive hosts in animal bodies and then mutate and find ideal hosts in human bodies. Viruses that want to live too. Very early on, as I was discovering Zen practice, I was a medical student. And as I was reading, I learned about the deaths of Suzuki Roshi and Katagiri Roshi from cancer. I was really surprised because I was naive enough to think that enlightenment would somehow protect you from cancer or from early death. I thought that you would predict your own death, give final instructions to your successors, recite a lovely final poem, fold your legs into the lotus position, and quietly stop breathing. Like Kozan, who wrote this poem, empty-handed I entered the world, barefoot I leave it, my coming, my going, two simple happenings that got entangled. And he lay down his brush and died sitting upright. Then I read that Suzuki Roshi had refused treatment for his cancer, saying, it wants to live too. And I realized that this was a much larger awareness of life and death than I had ever encountered. As death draws closer, what do we have faith in? As we begin to smell it, sense it coming towards us, perhaps in this pandemic, perhaps in the next, what do we have faith in? Or more importantly, what do we have faith in now? what is actually true now. A body that sits and breathes, 
a heart that opens to the suffering in the world, an open, clear mind, ready for what comes next. In Sashin, we can monitor what the mind is doing and we can see what we actually have faith in. Do we spend time in the truth of this body that sits and breathes? A heart that's open to the suffering of the world, the cries of the world, and a clear mind that's ready for what comes next. Where we spend our time in Sashin is an exact message to us of what we have faith in. And why do we think that we're special? That this shouldn't happen to us in this place called my country? Shall we secure the borders of my country? Shall we ban flights, which we are? Shall we do screening? Shall we have walls? Shall we have severe immigration laws? What what do borders mean? When were these borders drawn up? By whom? Do the birds know the borders? Do the earthworms? What is the border between us and Mexico? Somehow we think, oh, this isn't fair. This isn't fair. This shouldn't be happening to us in the United States. We're great. Things like this don't happen in great countries. In wealthy countries. Well, they do. Our virus is not fair. Illness obeys the laws of karma, killing those in whom the bonds that hold the body together are weaker. It is ultimately fair. Cause and effect is ultimately fair. Humankind has lived for over 200,000 years through countless epidemics. It's just that we, in our limited lifetime, have barely experienced them, and most of them happened, you know, somewhere far away or when we were too young to really register. What was an epidemic? There's lists of the famous epidemics. The plague of Justinian from 541 to 750. 541 to 750, over 200 years of plague. This is the first recorded outbreak of the bubonic plague. Began in Egypt. It went on to eliminate a quarter to a half of the human population at the time. It caused Europe's population to drop by 50% between 550 A.D. and 700 A.D. The Black Death, which was the next emergence of the bubonic plague from 1331 to 1353, only 22 years. Worldwide, 75 million people died. In some areas that were poor, in cities, up to a half of people died. And it was just the first of a cycle of European plague epidemics that continued until the 18th century, 500 years. 
There were more than 100 plague epidemics during that time. The disease recurred in England every two to five years from 1361 to 1480. 120 years of recurrent plagues. By 1370, England, England's population was reduced by 50%. The last major outbreak of the plague in London was 1665, lasted a year, and it killed 20% of London's population. Then there were various flus, the Spanish flu, the great flu of 18, of 1918-1919, began with U.S. troops training at a camp in Kansas. So the U.S. has been the source of, of epidemics, of pandemics. And it spread to become a worldwide pandemic on every continent and eventually infected about one-third of the world's population, 500 million people. Unusually deadly and virulent, it ended nearly as quickly as it began, vanishing completely in 18 months because it was so deadly that people who were sick didn't have a chance to spread it. In just six months, some 50 million people were dead. Some people say twice that many worldwide. 675,000 people died in the United States alone. Then there was the Asian flu. This is when I was 12 years old, so I have a vague memory of it. Came from China, caused about 2 million deaths in the world, 70,000 deaths in the U.S. And smallpox. Just during the 20th century, it's estimated that smallpox was responsible for 300 to 500 million deaths as recently as the 20th century. Each year, as recently as the 1950s, there were 50 million cases of smallpox in the world each year. But then there were vaccination campaigns. So I was vaccinated against smallpox. And smallpox was eradicated in 1979. It's the only human infectious disease to ever have been completely eradicated. And we still have storehouses of that vaccine around the country in hidden locations in case it reemerges or is used as a biological weapon. Measles. We all now think of measles as trivial. When I was a child, it was not trivial. I had a friend who was blind in one eye because of measles. The vaccine wasn't introduced until the 60s. And before that, it was responsible for 300 to 500 million deaths. It's now been eradicated, however, not completely. Sorry, that's smallpox, measles. So measles killed about 200 million people worldwide over the last 150 years. In the year 2000, measles killed 777,000 people in the world.
In the 1500s, there was a measles outbreak in Cuba that killed two-thirds of the natives who had previously survived smallpox. So our town is named for the Klatskanai tribe, actually a very warlike tribe that killed a lot of Chinook Indians and settled here, came down from Washington State. But they were wiped out by diseases that Europeans introduced, smallpox and measles. Measles ravaged indigenous populations all over the U.S., Mexico, and Central America, including the Inca civilization. But humankind has persisted. Maybe not me or you, but humankind has persisted. And humankind will persist until it doesn't. Our practice gives us a larger perspective on who we really are, we are not this one body. We are not this one anxious mind. We are a small part of the one body mind. As Hogan says, we are all part of nature. We are, all, we are each one of us part of life, the great life. Does one cell in this body cry out in anguish because it's time for it to die and be replaced? Maizumi Roshi always said, take good care of your life. He meant life with a small L and life with a large L. This bit of the infinite life that the person we call me shares with all of my hopes, desires, skills, and predicaments. Life with a small L and then life with a large L we are a little bit of the infinite life, the great life that pulsates in everything. We are a small bit of the life that manifests in the stability of a huge boulder, in the crumbling of dirt in the garden, in the vitality of new leaves sprouting from blackberry branches, in the wisdom of your eyelids and eyelashes that blink closed before you even register danger. Each one of us is a unique and temporary appearance from that one, living for only a few short minutes or hours or days or years, or even a century. We eat mushrooms in our food, perhaps even today in the polenta, and we sometimes hunt for them in our forests here or nearby. There is a mushroom called armillaria, which is about two inches high, a little bit wider in its cap, easy to miss on a walk through our woods. Each mushroom that we see, mycologists call a fruiting body of a huge underground organism One armillaria is thought to be the largest living organism on this ball of sand, rock, lava, and viruses that is spinning beneath us. The largest organism in the world lives in the Malheur National Forest in eastern Oregon. We're currently the largest organism. It covers 3.5 square miles. 
or over 2,200 acres. It's estimated to be 2,400 years old, and it may weigh 35,000 tons. It's called the humongous fungus. <laughs> when we meet individual people, our minds automatically react with desire, aversion, or indifference. One of the three poisons. We have to train ourselves to not react and just be open to who this new manifestation of life is coming towards us. So we meet them in relationship to us, to our life, rather than who they are. And we have to train ourselves to meet them with though no mind. But we could look at each person as the fruiting body of a huge organism called human beings, or an even larger organism of all living beings. Then we begin to question what is living. This 4.5 billion year old organism called life on earth has endured many cataclysms, many epidemics, until it doesn't. But there are likely to be many, many forms of life in the universe. Our self-centered view wants me to survive, my family members to survive. I'm no exception. We, Hogan and I have four nurses in our, in our family, of our, in our children and in-laws. They're all on the front lines. We worry about them. We want human beings to survive. We want life on earth to survive. It may survive or it may not. Humans may die out and cockroaches and other insects may survive. Not good, not bad, just true, just karma. It does not depend on our desires. It depends upon karma, cause and effect. We may work very hard to preserve life on this ball that is spinning through space, but we may be unsuccessful. Impermanence is an unalterable law. Viruses. You've all heard of the human microbiome, this universe of organisms that live inside of us and on our skin, in all of our body openings, in our little pores, and on our eyelashes. There are more other beings in our body than human cells. And it's estimated that 90% of the DNA in this bag of rice and porridge, which is what the Buddha called it, this bag of rice and porridge, that we call my body, approximately we think 90% of the DNA in this bag is DNA of other organisms. What are they? 38 trillion bacteria in our body. Most of them helpful, actually essential to life. They are our life. And 380 trillion viruses. Most of them essential to our life. In fact, 
you can ask who's in charge here because the more we learn about the microbiome, the more we realize that the microbiome controls most aspects of our health, including our mental health. Who's in charge? Am I in charge of my life? Are they in charge of my life? Are we cooperating and creating a life? Why are we secluded here? Why are we secluded in this monastery doing this session? Because of faith. We have faith in what science tells us will happen if we do not take action. This very strange action of secluding ourselves before anything has actually happened to us or anyone we know. The action of inaction, in a way. So very peculiar. We're used to fighting our enemies, winning, killing them. We have very few drugs to work with viruses. Almost nothing, and nothing for the current virus. So if we can't fight it, what do we do? We sit here because we have faith in the little black dots on the computer screen that say, quote, people die today in Seattle, or in Spain, or in Italy, or in Iran, or in Oregon. But not in this county yet. We look at all the counties in Oregon. Is it advancing on us? Nope. You can take some happiness in knowing that it's not in Columbia County yet that we know of. So today I am safe. If you're streaming from someone else, somewhere else, that may not be the case. Over half of the counties in Oregon have cases now. And we are not testing. So we do not know. Up until a few hundred years ago, human lifespan was about 35 years. You lived long enough to produce some children, get them grown up enough to take care of themselves, and then you die. So to live past that, I say, is outliving the warranty on our body. It's a miracle. But then we want more. We want it to last forever. It's like wanting our new car to last forever. or a new piece of clothing to last forever, new shoes to last forever. We eat animals that are grown for us, killed for us, and yet we don't want viruses and bacteria to eat us. We want to be the exception. We pull plants from the ground, we chop them, we consume them, we turn them into compost, but we don't want our lives to be pulled up out of this life too soon and be turned into compost. Not yet. We're all aware of the the Bodhisattva vow. So the Bodhisattva has the opportunity to enter nirvana, but turns back and sees all the suffering in the world and chooses to go back into the realm of suffering and help. I have to watch my Bodhisattva vow because it could be that I want to come back because there's so many things I still want to do. Like learn to play piano and learn a foreign language fluently. And 
So we always have to watch ourselves hmm? with our bodhisattva vows. But I've learned that no matter what the motive is for practicing, if we practice long enough, the practice will clean it up. And this epidemic that is happening now and all of our reactions to it are a way of cleaning up our motives. A way of helping us look at what is really important. If I only have a day, a week, a year, two years, five years, ten years to live, what is important? If we are able to hold clear minds and open hearts, we will be prepared for whatever comes forward next. Here is what coming is coming forward, please, as I tell you what has been happening in the days that you have been sitting here. Hold it with a clear heart and mind. This is partly to help those who have been sitting here in Sashin not to be shocked when you emerge. There's a story on the news of people who took a rafting ship, rafting trip in the Grand Canyon of 25 days. And when they, so when they started, there were a few cases of COVID in China and they got pulled out day before yesterday or yesterday. And the guide who came to help pull them out told them what was going on and they thought that it was a joke. They could not believe it. What had happened in 25 short days. So here's part of the news. Originally, as you know, COVID spread from China to Japan and South Korea. We don't know about North Korea, but I asked a friend who said, yes, it's definitely there and they're hiding it. Those countries enacted very strict quarantine and case numbers are now dropping, but it's expected. The epidemiologists say that there will be new outbreaks in those countries too, but they will be well contained because they're now prepared. South Korea tested 10,000 people a day and they were able to quarantine anyone, even who had no symptoms, who tested positive, which was a dramatic way to contain the epidemic. The U.S. is very much behind in response and in testing. We, we here are doing the most important action possible to help prevent the spread by self-quarantining. All of the projections, the scenarios that mathematicians work with based on past epidemics show that this is the most effective thing to do. And I speak not only to the people in this room, but to all of you who are listening who are also self-quarantining, if you have that option. Groups have been limited at first to 1,000, then to 500, then to 250, and now in Oregon to 25 and even 10. But because people are not doing this, states including Oregon and cities like New York City have closed restaurants, bars, movie theaters, concerts, any place people meet in large numbers, and even gyms. There are messages online directed towards millennials specifically because they aren't heeding the restrictions and because they could be silent spreaders, and because there are increasing numbers of cases of severe illness among younger people. 
So all the restaurants in Oregon have been closed and they're switching to takeout and delivery if they have that ability. Powell's bookstore in Portland closed. Schools and colleges are closed for at least six weeks and maybe for the rest of the school year. Kansas has already closed all their schools until the end of the year. And many people are switching to online learning. So I talked to our daughter in North Carolina, who's a nurse, in the ER, the most dangerous, one of the most dangerous places to be. And um, one of her, uh, one of her kids is home from college and one from high school, and they're both doing online learning. In the last two weeks, cases doubled in the world. There are about 214,000 known cases, and you have to multiply that by at least 10 and maybe 100 to know how many cases there actually are. So well over 2 million. In Oregon, so far, 68 cases and two deaths. There's a cluster at a veteran's retirement home in Lynn County. In the state of Washington, there are 1,014 cases as of today and 55 deaths because they had an epicenter in nursing homes, but now they have community spread. So 68 cases in Oregon, over 1,000 in Washington state, and in New York, 2,500 cases and 16 deaths. In the US so far, 7,300 known cases, multiply that by 10. In Italy, 36,000 cases with 3,000 deaths. In the UK, 2,600 cases with 71 deaths. And because I know that there are people from different countries, here in the Sashin in Poland, there are 251 cases and five deaths. In Hungary, 58 cases and one death. In Mexico, 93 cases and no deaths. But we know that this is gross underreporting because there's not good testing in those countries. Entire countries that have been badly hit are now under quarantine. Italy, Spain, and France. And only grocery stores and pharmacies are open. And you have to print out on your computer, if you have a computer, a permit from the government to go outside. And there are fines of up to $250 and arrests if you violate those rules. Pentagon has 89 cases among armed services personnel and their families so far, 14 hospitalized. All military exercises around the world and non-critical travel have been suspended by the military. Troops currently on ships are quarantined except for two Navy hospital ships, which one is being moved to New York City to help with the epidemic in the city and one to the West Coast to help with non-COVID cases, to take the load off the doctors in the hospitals that are trying to cope with the epidemics. They're building special ICUs in various places. The current epidem ep epicenters in the US are Washington State and New York City. So I mentioned before we began Sashin flattening the curve. So the curve of Cases, if it's, if it, if it's uh, allowed to go without any restrictions on, on social contact, without any self-quarantine, and not quarantining people until they are diagnosed, then we get a very high curve, which 
um, overstresses the and even collapses the healthcare system. So we're trying in these safety measures to spread out the curve so it's not as high as collapse of the medical system, but it will last longer. And then there will be little bursts after it seems to have died out. So it's now predicted that this epidemic in the U.S., with the precautions that we're taking, will last until August or September. We are doing the most effective action possible to prevent the spread of COVID-19 here and anyone else who is self-quarantining and going out only when it's necessary. We are doing the most effective action possible to prevent unnecessary deaths. The border with Canada has been closed for one month except for necessary supplies. Travel to Europe is severely restricted. A OSU professor says we need to treat this like World War III. It's a matter of our survival, both of human life and of our economy. If this becomes a prolonged war, it will become something like the Great Depression. Because restaurants and bars and so on are closed, there are massive layoffs in restaurants, bars, music, field, hotel and entertainment industries. The only industries that are flourishing are healthcare and daycare. And healthcare because they have no choice, but workers are being infected. There are two, as of a few days ago, that we know of emergency room doctors who are essentially on life support, one in his 40s. Stress levels among healthcare workers are very high. They are very afraid of taking the virus home. Daycare workers are wondering what to do because schools are closed and families can't work, parents can't work, unless they can take their children to daycare. But daycare then becomes a group of vulnerable children and adults. And children are dying in many, many smaller numbers than adults. Only grocery stores and delivery services like Amazon are doing extensive hiring at this point. Amazon is restricting um, holding things in their warehouse to essentials such as baby products, health and household products, beauty and personal care. I don't know where beauty came from. Uh, grocery, groceries, uh, industrial and scientific supplies and pet supplies. The Senate is expected to pass, the House has already passed this, a, multi a multi-billion dollar emergency aid packet so hopefully the Senate will pass it today or tomorrow. Uh, the Treasury Department is working on a separate proposal that would include $250 billion in direct payments to Americans starting on April 6th. They've put off when, by three months when taxes are due. Uh, the direct aid to Americans would, we don't know, but might be as much as $1,000 to $2,000 per person which for some people might help pay the rent and pay for groceries if they're out of work. Foreclosures and evictions have been, sended, have been suspended in Portland and HUD loans are also suspended 
So there can be no foreclosures and evictions nationwide under the HUD program. They're working very hard on getting free COVID testing, on getting paid sick and family leave. The interest rate was dropped to zero, so businesses can get loans to keep afloat for a few months until the epidemic allows restaurants and so on to open again. Uh, the Defense Production Act was just passed to ramp up production of supplies like protective gear and respirators. So the government is beginning to take this seriously in the last few days and taking action. We here, I want to emphasize this, are engaged in right action by helping to prevent the spread and preventing deaths by self-quarantine. What else are we doing? We're streaming this session, as you know, and recording the talk so people can listen to them later. It was reported that 20 people linked into this session this morning to sitting and service. So this is very important that we share this session. Hogan is not in the Zendo because he has switched all of our usual offerings at Heart of Wisdom to online offerings. He is the host managing the Zoom website that makes this possible. He's buying a larger computer because this currently we have a max of 500 people. We haven't reached that max, but I signed up a few weeks ago for a seminar by Brandeis University for chaplains and spiritual leaders who were caring for others and also was about self-care as you care for others. And when I signed on, they said it had reached the maximum of 500 people and was closed, but they would record it. On Sunday, Hogan had 40 people for the morning program. It's a program that usually has 40 to 50 people downtown. So most of them came. 28 people for the evening program, which is about how many we usually have for the evening program on Sundays. And it included people that we hadn't seen for years, people now living on the East Coast, in the Midwest, Peter Wills attended one yesterday. Some of you know him. Two or three meetings a day now. Hogan is hosting. And there are about 60 people total each day who come on to these meetings. Sangha and connection is very important to them. There is a great increase in urgency to connect to teachers and to renew practice. Since the quarantine may be extended, and people are aware of this through the summer, we're looking at offering classes and weekend retreats such as the Inner Critic and Loving Kindness online. We may feel helpless because we're not able to help in hospitals. People who are attending the online programs say they're feeling lonely and very anxious. And it's a relief to be able to meet and see the faces of the Sangha and the teachers. We may feel helpless because we can't visit our elderly family members, especially if they're in nursing homes, especially if they're in nursing homes where we know there are infections. 
but we are being effective just by doing our diligent practice here. We are a beacon of hope and support for many people. We are practicing for them. We are practicing for those who are dying alone in hospitals, for the doctors in Italy who have worked 21 days straight without going home, for nurses collapsing from exhaustion, for those who are frightened and lonely, all around the world, for those who have died and are buried in trenches in Iran, or those in Europe whose bodies are sitting in morgues because no one is allowed to congregate even for a funeral, for those who are panicked because half of their life savings were wiped out in the last two weeks by the stock market crash, We are sitting, we are practicing for those who are anxious about whether they will be able to get their medication or even food. For those who are buying guns for fear of others coming to take their food. For the homeless who have no water to wash their hands. For the children who are frightened by the adults who are frightened. We are practicing for all of those who cannot practice those who have no source of spiritual solace or the companionship of a congregation or a sangha. This is a time to remember our ancestors and to lean back into their arms. Many of our ancestors practiced in terrible times, times of long-lasting wars, famine, epidemics, the cemetery at Eiheiji, Dogenzenji's temple in the mountains in Japan, has a huge cemetery filled with the bodies of those who died in training there. The situation that we are in is not unique. Next time I'll talk about Zenshin, who was the first Buddhist nun in Japan, and how an epidemic of smallpox helped the introduction of Zen into Japan in the 500s. As you chant the names of our ancestors, recognize the very difficult times many of them lived in and ask for their support, not just for us, for everyone. In the past, I've talked about the algebra of suffering. If N is the number of people in the world who are suffering and we suffer because of that, then we've added suffering to the world, n plus one. We practice here to become at least part of the time n minus one, each one of us. Because as we diminish our own personal suffering around our own personal fears and dilemmas, we are better able to help the world. We practice in the good times to be ready for the difficult times. We all, including everyone who's listening to this talk, are beginning to encounter difficult times. If we are able to hold clear minds and open hearts, we will be prepared for whatever comes forward next. Please practice well for yourself and for the whole world.